Hi, and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. Today, I'm joined by Osric, lead developer of ViceraFest. Osric, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, very, very busy right now. <laughs> well, and, uh, glad to... oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't no, mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. Uh, you know, just... Uh, we're in a very, very, very busy period right now, uh, juggling a lot of things uh, and getting pretty close to the uh, early access period, actually. Well, that's great. I'm happy to hear that you're doing all right and also happy to hear that, you know, your game is getting closer to that early access period. Because I know um, a while back at one of the Steam Game Fests, you did do a demo and the demo was fantastic, in my opinion. I enjoyed it. It was a nice, uh, unique take on... Uh, the 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 first person shooters, the retro first person shooters, or what have you, that are coming out, where it felt a little more whimsical, in my opinion, just because a lot of the other, um, you know, not to speak any against any of these other games, but a lot of the games that are coming out, they all seem to be um, hearkening back to a very specific style of you know, twenty thirty years ago for first person shooters. Well, yours took a more colorful and um, wild approach if i can if i can say it that way so it's it's great that um you know the 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 early access is is getting closer and uh you know thank you for giving me some time with all of that on your plate right now yeah no problem so you know before we jump into my my questions um is there you know can you can you tell us a little about yourself a little about the uh, vicera fest and the project uh yeah so i actually um I started getting into game development around the age of 12. I actually wanted to get into 3D animation, uh, and that kind of started when I was eight. I had asked my dad to try and find me something that I could, like a program or something that I could use to get into 3D animation. And uh, around the age of 12, he had found a program called Blender, uh, which also happened to have a game engine attached to it. And I sort of used that as a way to springboard myself into game development. And around the age of 12, I started development on what is now known as Viscera Fest. Uh, definitely wasn't called that when I started out, but uh, from there, I, uh, yeah, I started on development when I was 12. Uh, in 2016, sort of what Viscera Fest is now uh, was sort of more predominantly established. And then uh, we did, and then a few people joined the team around about 2018, 2019. And we started development on like the proper current version of Mr. Fest now running in Unity and not the Blender game engine. Um, and yeah, so effectively I'm on a uh, pretty much a three person team. Uh, there's a few other people who do work with us, but like the primary development team is composed of me, my bud Elijah, who is Fireplant Games, and uh, our composer and sound designer. Sound designer Michael Markey, who has been uh, pretty busy with 3D realms and a lot lately. So, well, that's cool. Um, so, you know, going back a, a few seconds there, um, weird way to put it. Um, but you started at 12, so that's that's pretty impressive. That you know, at at 12, you um, kind of got your hands on some tools and just said, "I'm going in." Um, is there? Is there anything you can share or anything you would say to other potential young developers that, you know, 
might be looking at the same kind of landscape or just wanting to get in as well around that age or what have you that, you know, might, might've helped you if someone had told you some advice back then? Don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So when I started out development uh, or working on Viscera Fest or what would eventually be Viscera Fest, uh, I'd say I went in with a very, very lofty vision for what I wanted to create. And I think any young creator uh, does that early on starting out because, the, you know, you always uh, you always come out swinging, wanting to make your, your magnum opus or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and that's the worst possible thing you can do because uh, developing games is a nightmare. It is incredibly difficult and it is obscene the amount of stuff you will have to deal with in the process of developing it especially when your knowledge is incredibly limited and you don't really know what you're doing and you don't have experience uh, starting off with something that has, uh, I'll say, a very lofty vision is one of the worst possible things you can do. Uh, I would say probably one of the best decisions you can make is just start out small, make a bunch of really small games. You know, they might be no longer than just like a level. just make a bunch of really small projects so you can kind of get the feel for what it for what it's like to start something and finish something and the process that happens in between uh and you know and slowly build up to something larger in scope um you know i would say don't necessarily like sell or try to make a profit off of that stuff but uh try and put it out in the space where you can get feedback and opinions so that way it's like you know going into your next project you can have some. You can have a small knowledge base built up of like how you can improve, what you should focus on. Um, try and uh, you know, I'd say like especially if you're doing it by yourself, try and maybe learn a bit about game design because uh, I'd say starting out for me uh, or really anybody, I feel like if you if you are coming at games from the perspective of somebody who really doesn't understand much about game design. Uh, and you're like in a very youthful mindset, one of the bigger issues you're going to run into is you're not going to really know what makes a good game. You're just going to be the I'm throwing ideas at the wall to see what sticks kind of person. And whilst that's fine for starting out when you actually get to a point where you want to make a serious product that uh, other people will play and buy or or want to engage with, uh, it's going to be important that you have an understanding of how to build technically com- competent systems and implement them in such a way that uh, the game itself will take advantage of them. Because, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot more complicated than just uh, coming up with a cool idea and shoving it into uh, a product. And there are plenty, and the great thing about the age we live in is there's plenty of places you can go to learn about this stuff uh on youtube especially there's tons of creators who talk about game design tons of creators who also offer tutorials and stuff uh that you can use to learn like the basics of how to set up your mechanics and stuff like that um uh, we you know we live in a wonderful age where there's a wealth of opportunity for anyone at any skill level to jump in and uh it's uh, I I'd say you know, take advantage of that. You know, just learn and start small. 
uh, is kind of the best thing I could uh, I could offer anyone who hasn't uh, who doesn't particularly know what they're doing. And yeah, thank you because that's that's wonderful advice. Um, a lot of people say a lot of the similar you know have the same sentiment to what you're you're saying, and I'm not trying to you know discredit anything that you're saying or or um, uh, limit it. That's probably the wrong word. However, it's always nice to hear that that is consistent, um, as well as you know the the looking into good game design. You know that's also fantastic advice. And you know if you get if because you know as with Godot Engine and other similar engines coming out now, which are geared towards uh, younger audiences, if they start early with the mindset of looking at what is good game design. Um, like you suggested, I think that's going to just be a better thing, you know, in, in five, 10, however many years, as you know, the road goes on where we will, you know, hopefully start to see some, a very different methodology in game design, uh, by all these, you know, potentially young creators that are just going to be learning at a much younger age. So that's fantastic advice. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Now, um. I want to kind of go back, you know, you said you started at 12 or mm-hmm. started uh, the foundation, if you will, at 12. Um, <clears throat> what was your favorite game as like a child? So maybe when you were 12 or before then or what have you? Uh, ooh, uh, that, to promise is that changed a lot in a very short mm-hmm. span of time. Uh, the, one of the more, uh, <laughs> one of the ones I remember specifically from like, I'd say probably age range of like six to ten maybe uh was uh on the nintendo gamecube there was like a jimmy neutron game called attack of the Flockies, and i was obsessed with jimmy neutron when i was younger and uh that was a probably my favorite game for a, a relatively long time uh when i got to the age of 12 i was introduced to uh first person shooters kind of properly for the first time via a friend of a uh, best friend of mine uh he uh it, it, and the first one i i remember playing was uh battlefield 1942 uh on the pc which is not aged well <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh yeah so like those two especially like when i was younger i would say were sort of the main ones in uh, my early sort of like preteen years um I remember Battlefield 1942, like, that one I would, like, obsess... I think that was, like, the first game I was, like, obsessively playing for hours on end. Uh, which is funny, because uh, it was mostly just, like, deathmatch games against a bunch of really dumb AI. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like, it, it was structured in the sense that it's like, oh, there's a campaign and stuff, but it was mostly just, like, really big... It was basically just, hey... It's kind of like the Quake 3 style of uh, single-player design, where it was like, hey, let's just, like, take all this multiplayer content and, you know, like, let's underhandedly, like, uh, just throw our really dumb bots and AI in there and, uh, we'll call, and you know, we'll call it a single-player campaign. So, yeah, I, I agree, you know. <laughs> was, um, I, I do remember playing Battlefield 1942 as well. Um, and yeah, those bots were um, easy picking, so to say. They love to line up. Like the 
I, I it's still I, I still find it strange uh, when I see like the I can't think of too many games where I see it, but there's occasionally like I'll find a game where uh, the AI AI is structured in such a way where it's like they love the conga line, where it's like all of them just like in a straight single file line in charge of the player. Uh, <laughs> and that one especially is one that comes to mind because uh, like they they just straight up go at you in single file like so many times it's uh, it was it was interesting um, that and just it in in general that game kind of feels rough uh, in a variety of ways from a mechanical standpoint to be honest it has been a little while since I've played it but I remember like played it when I was 12, uh, and I think I stopped playing it when I was 12 as well. But then, like, probably 2016 or 2018, one of those two years, uh, I was like, hey, it's been a while since I've, uh, I've played this game. I wonder how it holds up, because I remember absolutely loving it. And I popped it in, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a series that... Um has benefited from the iterative process uh whether you know you look at that and say it's good with you know the 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 release schedule but it definitely is a series that has evolved and done its best to at least uh present things a little differently as you know time went on yeah one of the only modern military series i actually kind of enjoyed uh i mean like even like uh i've I've got one of the more recent ones uh I, I can't remember exactly when I had gotten it, but a uh, bad company too is still really enjoyable. Um, I've gotten three and four, uh, probably a few years after they were kind of relevant. But uh, yeah, three and four I remember really enjoying. Uh, I think I think I enjoyed three more than four, uh, and if I remember correctly, it's because in four they. I kind of uh, note some of the uh, environmental destruction. That's one thing I actually really like as the series went on that they sort of adopted was uh, a big focus on environmental destruction, uh, which was it's interesting to see that kind of stuff back in uh, Bad Company too, because it's like you could take out an entire structure uh, with like a rocket launcher. Um, and uh, I remember, especially at that time, like especially in a multiplayer setting, something like that was kind of uh, a bit a bit different uh, from you know. Typically, maps are very set in stone as to how they function and how they behave, and so like being able to change like the entire landscape and flow of the level is it's kind of fun, uh, and also probably a nightmare for level designers. <laughs> I think I would agree on all parts of that. Yes. Um, Cause you know, as you, as you said, it, it was really easy in bad company too. That's the one I played the most of was uh, really easy to disrupt the flow by, you know, just driving a tank through a building. What once used to be at that point, a good place to hide was now a garage for a tank <laughs> and then nothing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So that, I imagine that would be um, a nightmare to, to balance that out. And yeah, the, the, introducing that destructibility was you know was just absolutely wild because it just opened up so many more um ways to potentially play mm-hmm. now you know this question might be a little too on the nose um with uh with jimmy neutron um 
one of your favorite games. You know, we've already talked about how, you know, one of your other previous games didn't really age that well. Um, how do you feel about Jimmy Neutron today? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I haven't, I haven't played it in years. Uh, the, uh, I mean, to be fair, uh, the, the show itself, uh, I don't, I don't have too much of an opinion on, uh, it's, uh, something that I look back now at and, uh, animation wise definitely hasn't aged well. Um, but, uh, I think there's, there's still some, the, from what I from what I've seen, I, I think the the writing has surprisingly was a bit better than I was kind of expecting it to be because there will be times where it's like I return and I see some of the older shows I remember watching as a kid and I was like, ooh, that uh, uh, the writing there is a bit uh, questionable, and it's uh, a kid, kid kid show writing especially is like one of those things where it's like they write it in such a way where all the characters are kind of like almost talking down to the audience even if they're not talking to the audience itself uh and it makes watching some of that stuff as an adult kind of painful uh as for the game itself again it's been a long time since i have uh i've played it uh i'd imagine it probably hadn't aged too well because it's like a licensed uh licensed game or whatever and generally speaking those don't tend to uh be good period uh so i don't imagine that uh it's something that has held up but I, I could be wrong it could still be great uh but to be fair it's also not like it's on pc or anything so i couldn't uh i couldn't just play it now i mean we do still have the gamecube laying around but i don't i don't have the urge to uh go plug in my gamecube into uh our tv or whatever and see if uh some forgotten masterpiece <laughs> all all very valid and, and fair points uh especially on uh on the uh the comment of for you know licensed games um because yeah no typically licensed tie-ins were um more misses than hits so oh they still are <laughs> that yeah that's probably accurate too i um i don't Square pick Enix up that many that right now <laughs> um are are there uh, are there any other games that you you played as a child that you've you've touched on then that you know just aren't really what you remember or was was Battlefield pretty much it and you haven't really went back since then? I played a lot of uh, so my childhood was spent mostly on the GameCube and on uh, the Wii, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean like the Wii stuff is pretty much exactly how I remember it being. Uh, which is not to say that it's bad or anything. Most of it, I would say, are kind of... Most of the stuff I played were kind of just throwaway experiences. Um, There wasn't... There weren't many games that I remember playing on the Wii that were like, oh, it's like a fantastic, like, single-player experience that I have to go through again. It was mostly, again, just like mini games you know like Wii sports i think there was like some board game one that we had uh in terms of the gamecube uh it was actually the most of the stuff i played on the gamecube were just like uh arcade games <laughs> like i remember we had like a, a cd which was so weird the gamecube had like these microscopic 
CDs instead of like normal sized ones, which I'd imagine is probably because they're cheaper to produce. But um, they uh, yeah, uh, on the GameCube we had like a CD that had uh, Galaga and uh, uh, Dig Dug. I remember loving Dig Dug. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was Pac-Man on it. Uh, there was another. There's another really like ubiquitous uh, sh- uh, space themed shooting game. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it's kind of like Galaga, but uh, oh, Space Invaders. Duh. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just lots of little games like that. Uh, that I was were the bulk of what I remember playing as a kid. Uh, not too many... Uh, I didn't really play many sort of bigger single-player games. Probably the only one I could think of for the Nintendo Wii that we had that we played a lot of was Mario Kart, because of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no. Um, not too much that stands out in my mind, honestly, in terms of games I played from my childhood. Probably because... Uh, my parents were relatively restrictive of how much we played video games and stuff like that. You know, my parents uh, constantly telling us to go play outside. <laughs> so I didn't have like a, I wasn't, uh, my friends were really more so the ones who got to play a lot of video games as uh, children. And I always like, I would go over to their houses and play stuff. But generally speaking, when I was on on my own and at my and at my house, I didn't play much, uh, just because I wasn't really allowed to, again, play games very often. Uh, maybe like an hour a day, and that was it. And usually, again, it was something like, it, you know, like what I've mentioned here, like Galaga. <laughs> the, uh, oh, we had Frogger 2. Was it Frogger 2? Uh, it was one where it was like, I remember on the front cover, Frogger has like a jacket. And he's being chased like by a giant piranha fish. Uh, well, I guess it was probably was a giant because he was a frog. But then, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I remember there was like a pyramid themed area and a, uh, a, a Jurassic themed one. Um, but yeah, I don't know which Frogger game that is. I think it's Frogger Two, but I could be totally wrong. Um, so yeah, uh, just lots of little games like that. Uh, again, not too much that really stands out in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily for a lot of those games you played, they, they've they held up, and if only because of the simplicity of what they were trying to deliver on. So in some ways, you, and I, very, I say this very carefully, in some ways you're kind of lucky because <laughs> there's a lot of games that, you know, I've played as a child, and if I go back to them now, I'm going to have that nostalgia ruined um but you know if i go back to play dig dug or space invaders or frogger or what have you um it's gonna still be that same experience so i'm not going to be incredibly disappointed that the game is still that game if that makes any sense so you know i think in some ways you're kind of lucky with with what you were exposed to um yeah, it's it's interesting because I do remember I do hear a lot of people will say like, "Oh, this game has an age well," or "Oh, this game has an age well." But for me, it's like I can't think of too many games I've played. Period, where I'm like, "Ooh, this didn't age well." Uh, th- like pretty much because pretty I could pretty much go back to like 
I think almost any game I played, I'm like, this plays fine. Like, uh, you know, Dig Dug, Galaga, Pac-Man, Frogger, they all, they're all relatively mechanically solid experiences. Uh, there's not much to them, but there's nothing like, oh, uh, you know, Resident Evil, my, uh, the camera controls and, not the camera controls, the, uh, the tank controls and all that stuff are just make it kind of clunky and awkward to play. Um, or, you know, I, and, and I understand some people do like the tank controls or whatever, but like, generally speaking, uh, you know, you'll have like those older conspir- uh, experiences where it's like in light of more modern ones, like the early, early attempts at like third person games or whatever it happens to be. Uh, those games, because of how they control and how like, uh, their modern equivalences uh, hold up because of, you know, changes that have been made in terms of, again, how these games control, how they handle, uh, and generally, like, layers of polish that have been applied over the years means, like, oh, this older experience doesn't really hold up because, oh, there's this level of technical uh, advancement that is bit, that, like, makes this unplayable in comparison to what we have now. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, that's that's the that's the point I was probably missing when I was making my comp. But yeah, no, you nailed it right on the head as you know, um, you in in that's in the more simplistic times, you didn't you know, you don't have to they didn't have to worry about that because they were delivering something that for what they were able to deliver was already a nice polished, you know, piece of work. Yeah, like I, I, I haven't played it, but I've been told like, again, like the early uh, Tomb Raider games. Uh, especially are very clunky because they, uh, you know, they were still kind of figuring out how do you do like a a game from this perspective? How should this control? How should this feel? How should the platforming feel? And all that stuff. And uh, and the you know due to the the tech they had at the time or whatever it happens to be, they uh, it, it's very rough around the edges and uh, it doesn't. You know, if I were to play a classic Tomb Raider in light of like a more modern Tomb Raider game, uh, it would again feel very awkward and clunky by comparison. Um, which is, you know, I guess why we have the phrase, you know, doesn't age well. But again, like most of the stuff I've played, uh, I'd say like, yeah, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head where I'm like, this this didn't age well. Uh, because, I mean, like, you know, most of the 90s shooters, which is, like, a lot of the bulk of what I play, uh, they, they they play fine. Like, especially with, like, Source Force and stuff like that. Like, you know, I can play Doom and Duke Nukem and whatever it happens to be pretty effortlessly. Uh, there's not much about them where it's like, oh, this... Uh, from a... Especially, like, even from a visual standpoint, uh, you know, it's like pixel art is everywhere nowadays. Uh, and for the most part, those games, uh, pixel art is pretty decent. Um, you could argue how much of it is actually pixel art because a lot of it is just like images of low res images of clay models and stuff that have been like tweaked and edited. But, like, still, like, from an artistic standpoint, they've almost been unaged by uh by just the sheer fact that uh pixel art is more of an aesthetic decision now than it is a uh technical limitation like it was when they were making those games 
Yeah. And there was, you know, that's actually a really, a really good um, point that, uh, you know, that's, it's almost, you know, like that it's, it, it fits in the current environment just by the very nature of how it was developed. And, you know, with the whole going, you know, back around the, those older games, they, they didn't really have an issue of, you know, aging out just because they were already delivering um, what would unintentionally maybe um, be back in vogue, you know, 20, 30 years later. And now you did mention that you, you know, those are currently the games you're, you're playing. Um, are those, you know, do you have any current favorite um, first person shooter games or just current oh, uh, favorite games? I mean, of course I have plenty. Uh, by far, my favorite game is Doom Eternal. Uh, mostly because, well, especially with that game. So when Doom 2016 came out, um, and by the way, I wouldn't classify uh, Doom Eternal as being like a retro shooter. Uh, I would sort of say that's, that it's its own thing. Uh, I don't want to give the impression that it's like, especially because of the way we segued into that, that I'm saying Doom Eternal is a retro shooter. Of course, um, of course. No, uh, Doom Eternal for me, uh, when Doom 2016 came out, absolutely loved it. Uh, but the big thing for me is, like, the more and more I played it, the more and more I kind of realized there was, like, a lot of missed potential and a lot of poor decisions that were made with it. Uh, and it was an experience that's, like, for as much as I loved it, I felt it was undermining its own strengths because of a lot of the creative decisions that were made. And going into Doom Eternal, I remember even... Uh, I had a friend who I was talking to at the time, and I was, and they were like doing the reveals and everything, and I was like, uh, you know, sort of these are the things I hope they address. And when Doom Eternal actually rolled around, like pretty much all the complaints I had with Doom 2016 are like why this game existed in the first place. Um, a lot of the creative uh, and core design uh, decisions and mindsets that that were uh, effectively the backbone of Eternal, were uh, all basically things that existed to address a lot of the issues I had with 2016. And so for me, it was like the perfect experience. It was like pretty much everything I wanted it to be. Um, I mean, like, you know, I have like minor nitpicks and stuff with it, but uh, it, it's, it's an experience that I can like constantly return to effortlessly because... Uh, it is, I'm trying to think how to put it, it's a, an example of a game that is both, I don't know, my brain's farting on this one. <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah. And you know, that's, that's fine. Because um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people will share your sentiment with Doom Eternal in that um, it's it really is a fantastic game for me personally. It was my game of the year last year. Um, because, you know, I don't know if we would share the same opinions on what it did real well, or, you know, what it, what it fixed, but at its core, I felt that it was yet another evolution in what a first person shooter could be a first person arcade shooter. I want to be very careful on that because, you know, um, a, a doom game you know wolfenstein doom um are not the same as you know say halo or call of duty where you know it's restrictive on how many guns you can carry like different mindsets you know different design uh philosophies there yeah. but 
I, I, I strongly feel that, you know, Doom Eternal, yes, I agree completely, is its own thing um, in such a, a marvelous and at times frustrating way when you're trying mm-hmm. to explain it to someone that might not know what you're meaning. Um, and I say that from the standpoint of, you know, if you explain what Doom 2016 is to someone, if you just call it an arcade shooter, for the most, they're going to have a very good idea of what that is. Um yeah. For me, if you tell someone that Doom Eternal is an arcade shooter, you're really, you're not doing it, you're doing it a disservice because a lot of, a lot of the stuff that it does is, again, just pushing that bar so much higher. And sorry, I did not mean to uh, cut you off there. No, you're fine. Yeah, no, the, the so the thing for me, because uh, I'm sure some people will be curious, because I do know there are some people who enjoy uh, 2016 more than Eternal. Uh, for me... The primary thing, so like basically, for those of you, you who don't know, kind of how the, I mean, I'm assuming most people understand and know how the 2016 reboot kind of came to be. They were working on Doom 4, and then so there was sort of a period of reevaluation where they sort of like asked, what is like the sort of soul and identity of Doom? What is, you know, what makes Doom Doom? Uh, and sort of in doing so, they kind of came up with like a few sort of core pillars. Um, a lot of those core pillars, you know, uh, things like resource management, enemy prioritization, obviously, you know, in a very generic sweeping way, fast-paced combat. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, kind of the issue I had with 2016 was that with some of the... Uh, because of some of the balancing decisions that were made, they undermined core elements of the game, like uh, the resource management, for example. Uh, and what I really liked about 2016, and the thing that really made it stand out to me at the time, was it was like, oh, they've got like these really interesting, really cool and fun ideas for like you know, uh, tying the resource management directly into the combat itself. Uh, but in the process of, uh, again, how they balanced it, uh, the game undermined some of those elements. So it was like, oh, you don't really need to like think about or worry about your resource management. You don't really need to think or worry about like your health or your armor or your ammo or stuff like that because at a certain point, you're just going to be drowning in the stuff. Um, you know, it's like the entire purpose and role of like the chainsaw and the glory kills are undermined by the fact that for one, uh, you can have so much ammo at once that, you know, it's like you will never run out, and even if you do, for one, there's ammo pickups lying all over the levels, and there's health pickups lying all over the levels. So it's like, you know, you're not... In a backwards way, it's like where they, they built these systems to encourage aggression and to encourage uh, the player to be... Uh, to push forward into combat and stuff. They also, like, underhandedly... Uh, built ways for play they, they underhandled because of the way it's balanced you're not actually encouraged to do those things um <clears throat> which to me was really disappointing it was like you know again you have like these really cool ideas for how you're gonna uh change the dynamic of resource management um but you're not actually gonna take advantage of that by properly forcing players to manage their resources um another thing is like you know uh, enemy prioritization and stuff in that game is kind of undermined by the fact that there's not really any enemies that pose much of a threat to the player. Like, the most dangerous enemy in Doom 2016 is the Imp, 
because they can one shot you a nightmare and like barons can't like <laughs> i don't understand what mindset there was because like the, the imps they can like charge up fastballs and the fastballs again they can like one shot you basically uh but it's like why would you make it so that like the starting enemy in your game is the most difficult to deal with i don't I don't understand the mindset there, and I'm not even sure it was intentional. But like you know, like nothing, and like everything else, like the Macubuses, the Cyber Macubuses, the Barons, you know, all the enemies you would think are supposed to be like the big threats in the room. Uh, none of them really are, and as a result, there's no real push or um, reason for players to think tactically because like one of the reasons why i love uh retro, oh, retro shooters so much is because like they are and i hate to use this term because i've i've seen it used a lot in like uh so, in sort of like a marketing way where it's like oh uh you know we're going to use this to try and sell our game but like it's the thinking man's shooter in a way <laughs> Because, uh, you know, they're not dumb and mindless. It's like you have to think about your resource management. You have to, like, look at the battlefield and consider what is the most dangerous threat uh, that I want to focus on right now, you know? Like, because when an arch file strolls into the to an encounter, you know, it's like you're, like, you're, like, focused. Like, that's the thing I need to remove from the fight right now because otherwise I'm screwed. Um, but there's, again, like, this, it's sort of a chess game. Uh, where, you know, what enemies, what weapons do I use on what enemies and all this stuff. And especially with, like, the balancing of the weapons, you know, they undermine, like, that aspect of it in 2016, where it's like, you don't really have to think about what you're using on what enemy and yada, yada, yada. It's, they effectively undermined the chess game element of Doom that I personally really like. Um, a lot of what made Doom 2016 so fun and so enjoyable was more so because of the, uh, I would say, how you can push the systems more so than in classic Doom. Because, uh, you know, it's like you can abuse the uh, the cooldowns between weapons firing with, like, you know, hot swapping and stuff like that. So you could do quick switch combos and stuff like that, which is really, really fun. Uh, but, again, uh, <laughs> you know, um, or little things like that where it's like, the more it's like you can abuse the systems, uh, so it's like you can do more damage, more uh, quicker, things like that, where uh, I'm trying to think, or like in Doom Internal, you have like the meat hook, so you can like fling yourself above the arena absurdly high, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, games that effectively have systems that uh, you can push almost harder than the game intends you to are really fun. Um, and Doom 2016 was kind of like that, uh, where because of the range of abilities it gave you, Ultra Kill is another one, uh, but because of the range of abilities it gave you, it's like, you know, when you look at, say, a new person who's coming to this game with no experience versus how, like, somebody who's played this game for hundreds of hours plays it, it's like two vastly different uh, experiences that are going on right there because of just, again, how much the game gives you the ability to do and how far you can push that. Uh, there's there's not a ton of games from the 90s that really kind of gave you that kind of experience, uh, especially not classic Doom. Um, 
but uh, it, it was um, that, that to me was like why 2016 was so enjoyable. And uh, I really wanted them to with Eternal kind of rein that in, and it's like okay, now we get the uh, you know the resource management back, uh, the focus on like juggling, uh, uh, focusing on different enemy types, and uh, and even heck with uh, one thing I wasn't expecting to do, which was the weak point system. It's like not only do they have you uh, sort of the combat chess where it's like you're focusing on enemy types and what enemies you, or what weapons you use on what enemies things like that but now it's like with the weak point system it's like you take that even further because it's like oh now i have to like you know focus on weak points as well in that meta game where it's like you know maybe i don't necessarily need to take this enemy out but i need to take out that weak point because his specific weapon that he has in that moment could screw me over while i'm focusing on the more important threat and it uh if it's an interesting way to spice up even sort of that thing which is a big part of like I've heard some people say like they don't, they don't view Doom Eternal or Doom Twenty Sixteen as being really Doom games because they, uh, I guess, they have a fundamental different, un- fundamentally different understanding of what the games are trying to do. Which, in my mind, what they were effectively do, what those games do, is they effectively look at sort of the core DNA of the original game and they say, how do we reinterpret this in sort of a modern lens? You know, what uh, you know, we have resource management. We have enemy prioritization. We have uh, these. I, I don't call it nonlinear because that's not what they are. I call it pseudo pseudo nonlinearity, um, uh, pseudo nonlinear levels and stuff like that. Um, you know, taking those things and sort of restructuring them and rethinking them uh, from the perspective of sort of a modern uh, AAA perspective, uh, where the, all those elements are still present. But there are, uh, but the ways in which their presence are different. You know, it's like again with the resource management. You know, now it's that that's an integral part of the combat itself. You're not just running around picking up pickups. You're actively like you know creating the resources as you play, or um, <clears throat> or the structure of levels and, th- and things like that. It's uh, t- again taking ideas and sort of twisting them in a way where it's like it's the same thing from the pers- from a broader more uh how would i say a uh, surface level perspective but from a like you know if you actually go in and like analyze it it is fundamentally a bit different in the way that it's implemented um and sort of that is in my mind what they were trying to do with these games is like capture the same ideas but just twist them in a, a more modern sort of way and definitely, yeah, because I, I can see where I see, like, I understand what you're saying. And I, I agree that, you know, it's they did a lot of distilling down on what made uh, the first person shooter, you know, quintessential or made Doom, I guess you would say more uh, quintessential. And they just expanded on that and then they expanded on that even more. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I agree completely because that's, you know, a fantastic way to go about it. Um, hopefully for the next Doom game, um, you know, they, they do that even more. Now, I want to take a little bit of a step back um, because you had mentioned playing a lot of older first-person shooters. Is there, like, an older first-person shooter that you think maybe people didn't really um, get, are, aren't aware of that, you know, you've you've rediscovered as, you know, as you've gotten older that you think people should uh, be aware of or to check out? Um, Power Slave is one that comes to mind. I actually, I just recently uh, started playing Power Slave. Um, 
and it's a build engine game that uh, I knew I knew existed, uh, but sort of like for, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a sort of console port version of Power Slave, and there's a uh, a PC port version of it, and they are both very different games. <laughs> um, the one that people always talk about very favorably that I've heard about was the console one, and there was like a port of that uh, called Power Slave E, which I had played. <clears throat> and so that was sort of in my mind, it was like, why would I play the other version of it? Because the impression I've been getting is that it's just like uh, an inferior, sort of lesser game. Um, because it was effectively just, you know, it was another build engine game, basically. Uh, but no, I've, I've been playing the PC port, not the PC port of the console version, but the regular PC port. Uh, and yeah, it, I, I was kind of surprised it was, it feels a bit better to play, in my opinion, than the console port version does. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same Metroidvania elements that the, uh, the, the console ones did. I think it was on the Sega Saturn. Um, but it is a, a surprisingly enjoyable and confident game. Uh, and I, I feel like most people just haven't looked at it because really it hasn't even been available until recently because GOG just, uh, just recently released, I don't know if it's on DOSBox or what it is. I used the GDX source port to play it. Um, but yeah, if, uh, anybody wants to play like the original PC version of, uh, Power Slave, uh, it's available on GOG. Uh, it's really enjoyable. Uh, it, it is a relatively substandard uh, retro shooter. I think the only thing that really stands out, out in my mind about it is there's like some light push puzzle stuff in there. Uh, <coughs> uh, and it's definitely not, in my opinion, the best of the uh, build engine games. But uh, it, I would say it's still a pretty decent one. It's It's funny because like, Everybody talks about the build engine games, and it's like there's three good ones, and all the other ones are trash. But uh, <laughs> I like, and I feel like a part of that's because like you know, most of them are, and it's generally safe to assume that kind of a lot of them are trash because you know, I forget what it's called, but there's like a Nom or something like that. You know, Redneck Rampage is just, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, like. I, I would genuinely recommend Power Slave. It is a pretty decent game. Uh, it is, in a way, more of the same. Uh, you know, if you've played, like, a, a build engine game before, like, from a surface-level perspective, you can have a vague idea of how it's going to play. But, uh, yeah, no, it is pretty fun. If you do enjoy that kind of stuff, I would say uh, definitely check it out. And, yeah, I definitely will. I've never heard of this game, but I've made note of it, so I, I am going to look that one up later. Yeah. Um, just because, it's, uh, you know, it's always it, great to have more games or newer games, or not newer, but you know what I mean, um, to look into. Yeah, it's worth noting it does have two names. I'm not sure what it's called on GOG, but uh, the one I mostly call it is Power Slave, but it's also known as Exhumed, um, which is E-X-H-U-M-E-D. Uh, so if, um, so I could be wrong, I'm pretty sure it's called Power Slave on GOG, but uh, yeah. Uh, definitely check it out. It is it is pretty enjoyable. Um, I'd say yeah, my own, yeah, I'd say my only real complaints with I or I should say like a minor warning. Uh, if you get lost easily, its levels 
uh, can be a bit confusing at times, so do keep that in mind. But, uh, you know, um, for me, I have a pretty good sense of direction, so I don't get lost too much. But uh, it, it was one of those, it is one of those games where I can kind of tell other people are going to struggle with because of how, wind, how winding some of the maps can be. <clears throat> Fair enough, and always a good thing to, to throw out there for anyone that is, you know, going to take the plunge into, especially older games that kind of had um, some winding, winding maps. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this, because this is a question I do like asking everyone that I talk to. And you, you seem to have tackled this in a very different way. So this is kind of a two-part question. Um, so it, it, normally it starts with, you know, how do you feel about the current landscape for, for games and, the, you know, the game's fandom and how you interact with fans. And for those that don't know, you have um, what seems to be a very active Discord where every week you guys have... Um, well, more often than every week, you know, because I've, I've been kind of creeping it and watching. But every Friday at the very least, um, there's a, you know, a, a good core group of people where you guys come together, you join voice chat, you, you play games together or you stream games and you watch and you talk about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to ask this question just because that, you know, I, I haven't seen that kind of consistent uh, interaction with anyone else I've spoken to. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you feel about the current games fandom of interaction with fans? Uh, I'd say take it on a case-by-case basis. I think that tools uh, that are offered to creators and uh, how they allow them to interact with their communities is fantastic. Um, but obviously, it goes without saying, there are great communities and there are eh communities. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Uh so in regards to the climate, I'd say, you know, it's 50-50 toss-up because, again, there's some communities I've joined where it's like they're very opening, they're very open and welcoming to uh, new people, and then there's communities I joined where everybody's just kind of mean and, <laughs> you know, not very nice. Uh, so it's uh, taken by case-by-case basis, but I'd say the, the tools uh, that are offered to creators to communicate and... Uh, share with people on um, the, the platforms that are on offer, I think are fantastic. And uh, it, and for me, especially in regards to uh, being a creator myself, I think it's incredibly important that uh, creators engage with their community and that they, uh, they be a part of their community and they be an active presence within it. It's always kind of interesting to me. Uh, I get a lot of people who will pop in and are like, oh, you're like the first uh sort of game dev i've even had the chance to talk to and because like i'll be in other servers and it's like the developers they don't really talk to or engage with their communities that much like they're kind of just uh an overseeing presence <laughs> within the community rather than like an active member of it and yet anybody in my server will tell you i'm like one of the most active members uh within my community uh, and i think that's incredibly important um I think there needs to be an understanding between both devs and, uh, you know, players. So it's like, you know, we are people. We, uh, you know, relatively normal people, most of us. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm pretty weird, but... <laughs> um, but, for no, for most people, like, uh, I feel like a lot of developers are kind of put up on this pedestal where it's like, uh, you know, a lot of people have... I, 
I feel like this. So I, again, it's like you know, the with with a, within a fan base, you'll have those people who it's like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to the developer. Oh dear lord, like <laughs> you know, it's like it's so amazing. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm this guy. I I, I say words. I uh, I make video game. <laughs> um, but I do think it is important uh, and healthy for. Uh, there to be a dynamic relationship between uh, both the players and the developers of the game, um, because uh, it's I, I I don't feel like you know as a developer it's very easy to disassociate with the people who you are making your game for. Um, it's very easy to sort of look at people from this perspective that they are just uh, you know. They're players. You don't really have an emotional attachment to them or anything. Uh, they they give you praise or they don't. Uh, and being there and present and you know getting opinions on the ground level is you know useful and helpful to get understanding of the perspectives and opinions that people will have. And then uh, furthermore, from the perspective of the player, it's just nice uh, to one have the presence of a developer constantly among them to have somebody you know like. To get to know the person who's making the games you're playing is enjoyable, and you know, and to have a community where it's like kind of everybody's friends, everybody knows and talks to one another, uh, and which is a big reason why I think it's important to be engaging with the community. You always want your community to be a friendly and a welcoming place, so that when new people join, it's like you know, somewhere people want to be. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I've again, I've joined plenty of communities where it's like they're trash and I leave just as quickly as I join because it's like I don't want to I don't want to be around these people um, and sort of monitor the behavior and to uh, sort of be an, uh, both an enforcing and encouraging presence uh, and a role model within a community I think is uh, important um, but uh, it is it is always interesting to kind of see the dynamics uh, different communities have. Um, again, in terms of the main question, like how do I feel about uh, sort of the current landscape for game communities and stuff? Um, I think that uh, what is on offer in terms of uh, the kind, the way communities can be shaped. It's probably better than it's ever been because of the level of communication that is at our disposal. Uh, but you know how well and for what reason that communication is used um, <clears throat> is always something that uh, kind of ranges from place to place. Uh, so it is uh, again taken on a case by case basis. And yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there because, you know, you, you are absolutely correct. And, you know, um, it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges in the sense of, you know, you can go to one community and it'll be fantastic. You'll have, um, you know, a lot of involvement uh, like yours, for example. You'll have a lot of involvement from you um, and other communities where, you know, the, the devs or the community manager is there always having involvement or trying to always have involvement. And, you're you know, you're trying to foster a nice welcoming environment and then you have some where um you know the devs are kind of not there at all they have their you know they might have their own community muted now i'm not saying this to throw shade at anyone i've spoken to um or that i've i've witnessed but you know i've 
as as someone has joined different Discord communities as well, um, I can I can definitely see that you know there are there are probably a lot of use cases where people kind of just make a community and you know don't really uh, help foster it. it. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, and it's also worth noting, like especially from the perspective of, the, of a developer, a lot of them are very very busy, uh, mm-hmm. so maintaining a community is something that. It's not necessarily feasible for everyone because, uh, again, if you're overwhelmed and you're busy and you've got thousands of things you got to be juggling at any time, uh, you know, also having to uh, regularly engage with everyone is uh, can both be exhausting and time-consuming, um, and uh, it can distract from your work, which isn't necessarily something that you want to be the case. Exactly. Uh, so it's definitely not like shaming anybody who isn't. It's just that I think it's best if the de- if like developers or you know community managers or whoever it is that are you know effectively trying to cultivate a community. I think it's best if they are an active participant within that community. Mm-hmm, exactly, and you know you you kind of said it for me. You know I wasn't intending to um, you know speak ill of of any developer that might not devote a lot of attention to their community because it's exactly as you said um you know it, that takes energy and it you know when you when you already have so much going on uh, it's important to remember that you know developers are people too and they have their own life uh so yeah so you know it's it, it was unintentional what i what i did there and you know thank you for 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 i don't know if you were pointing it out to me or just in general but no that's a very good point to to keep in mind that you know developers are people too and it's you know it's not always easy to to devote time um and resources to 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 doing that Mm -hmm. now i don't want to keep you for too much longer because you know we all have uh stuff to do and you you especially as you said you know you're 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 getting ready for the early access launch but i would be remiss if i didn't ask if there's anything you wanted to make sure people aware of you know a favorite game that you're playing lately that you want people to know um, something about your project, you know, just anything really that we might not have covered that you really, you really feel people should be aware of. Uh, well, I do think it's worth noting we are going to be having a trailer coming out in a couple of weeks, pretty soon here. Um, there's, uh, you know, plans are still kind of uh, up in the air as to what exactly when uh, things are launching, but I will say, it seems like things are going to be falling into place within the next month or so. So uh, if you're interested in uh, Vesser Fest, definitely keep an off, uh, lookout because uh, we're going to have some, very likely have some announcements coming out very soon regarding the release date of the early access period um, and what you can come to expect from that. Um, other than that, uh, not really much that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I have a Twitter page. Uh, if anybody wants to, you know, directly follow uh, what I'm doing and I, uh, <clears throat> the game's development, uh, and obviously see announcements. I'm pretty much like constantly posting there on a daily basis. Um, if you want to see my cat, uh, which everybody is obsessed with, and uh, some people can actually uh, come up with conspiracy theories that uh, I am just being manipulated by my cat, and my cat's the real one making Viscera Fest or something, or I'm, <laughs> or I'm making Viscera Fest uh, in the slave chamber that my cat owns or something of that equivalent. Um, you know, my um, Twitter is at Osreek, uh, and I think I have like a, for my username, I have like 
the way Twitter has things set up is strange because it's like you can have like your actual username, but then it's like on top of that you have like a name attached to that. But my my username is Oz, at Osric, but then it's like Osric Viscerfest Dev or something like that, or just Viscerfest Dev. I'm not sure anymore. I'm going crazy. Um, <laughs> oh, and you know that's fine. Oh, because like uh, I'll 100% make sure that that is that is properly linked, so people don't have to worry about um finding the right username um in the event that as you said you know it's if it's one thing or the other so you don't don't worry too much about that because i will definitely make sure that you know people can find you um in that in that regard yeah yeah i i, told, I post tons of like teaser images and stuff like that stuff we're working on currently uh just today i posted some stuff regarding the main hub space that we're that's going to be available in the uh uh, early access period. So, um, if you if you want to follow the game's development, uh, pretty much get like on the spot. Like when news is coming, I'll pretty much post it right away. Um, that's kind of the place to be. Uh, that in our Discord, uh, which I can give you the link for as well if you want that. Uh, but uh, yeah, and definitely, yeah, I will. I'll definitely take that link as well because you know, like I said, I want I want to do what uh, whatever I can to help people. Uh, find more about you and the game and the community and everything so yeah i'll take i'll take whatever you want to give me to make sure people see no doubt about that um now i do want to make a quick note that depending when this does whenever you're listening to this it might already be out in early access so you know i, I mean like i don't know how long it takes this stuff but i, I don't think it, it's gonna be at least a month before uh it goes into early access so i'm not sure uh how soon you're releasing this but right now it is uh the 29th of uh, march so it'll probably be toward the end of april early wait may early may um when uh we go into early access but uh yeah awesome and you know that's um, i'm looking forward to the early access of your game as well you know uh, i think it's I, like i said earlier when i when i tried the demo i thought it was a nice change of pace compared to um a lot of the other, you know, retro-styled shooters that are coming out. Again, not speaking ill to any of those, just, um, you know, yours is, I felt, far more colorful and um, whimsical. That's that's definitely the wrong word, but um, mm-hmm. far more colorful and it, um, with just, I'm just going to go with whimsical. There's no other word that I can think of right there. That's so magical how she consumes the flesh of her enemy. Yeah, well, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, the, the, the story as well is, is fantastic. Um, for those that are, are not aware in the, the closing moments here, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the best synopsis that I can. But your main character is looking to afford the wedding ring and wedding in general, I suppose, for her fiancé. So she takes one big contract and, um, you know, seemingly gets in over her head also she can fund the the engagement ring for her love <laughs> and you play as a bounty hunter who takes on a job to hunt down a uh a religious zealot um yeah so that she can buy a, a ring and propose to her boyfriend which is absolutely phenomenal and absurd in the same <laughs> in the same time um and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this game. Now, Osric, if there isn't anything else you would uh, you want to make sure people are aware of or discuss, 
I'm, I'm going to let you get back to your day so you can get back to working on getting that game out there. I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't really have much else to say. Okay, awesome. So yeah, I'll definitely let you get back to your day and uh, work into the, uh, working on the game. So yeah, thanks again for joining me on the Red Tunic Podcast. And a special thanks to you, Osric, for making some time to have this conversation with me. As well as a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of his music from the title track, Roads Deep. And if you do like this podcast and want to support it and help it grow, please subscribe to receive the latest episodes and be sure to share with those you might also, who you think might also enjoy. Again, thanks again for listening and as well as Audrey. Have a wonderful day.